It's about you, your health, your family, and your community. This is Sunday Morning Magazine with your host, Rodney Lear. And good morning. Hope you're having a blessed weekend. Welcome to another edition of Sunday Morning Magazine. Like always, if you would like to reach out to us on social media, we're available on Facebook at Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. You can head there and like us there. You can listen to the show anytime you like. Head to your favorite podcast app like Spotify or Podcast One and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. Or you can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Rodney Lear on Air. We begin this morning with Vicki Henderson. Vicki is executive director of the Northern Kentucky Children's Advocacy Center. It's our pleasure to welcome Vicki Henderson to Sunday Morning Magazine. Good morning, Vicki. How are you? I'm doing great today. I'm glad to be here and excited to talk about the Children's Advocacy Center. Now, tell us about what you guys do at the Northern Kentucky Children's Advocacy Center. Yeah, so at the um, Northern Kentucky Children's Advocacy Center, we provide services to children and their families when there's been a concern or allegation of child abuse, specifically sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, kids who are um, possibly exposed to or witness domestic violence or um, violence in their home, and also um, children when there's a concern about human trafficking. So we work specifically with those children and then their families. Um, their protective caregivers, as well as we call um, our team, the multidisciplinary team, and that involves working with law enforcement, social services, our prosecutors, our victim advocates, the medical community, and therapists. All right. Now, the center is groundbreaking in several ways, right? It is. Oh, tell us about that. So we are the only center in Northern Kentucky um, providing the services. We were the first center in the state of Kentucky to um, be a children's advocacy center. Um, I was actually the first forensic interviewer in the state of Kentucky. Um, And so um, we also have a medical clinic, and we were the first with the medical clinic as well. So you mentioned forensic interviews. Sounds like an episode of CSI, (laughs) but help us out here. Yeah, so... The um, forensic interviews are the basic service, one of the basic services that we provide, and it's typically the initial service. It is trained forensic interviewers, so they've been trained in interviewing children. They've been trained in understanding the developmental stages of a child's life, their communication techniques. They have been trained in working with law enforcement and getting information in regards to what law enforcement needs for their criminal investigation. And the interviewers have also been trained in working with our social service agency in Northern Kentucky in what they need to ensure kids are protected. So we have extensively trained forensic interviewers that interview the children. So the kids are brought to the center by the protective caregiver. Law enforcement and social services are present because what we want to do is reduce the amount of times that kids are interviewed. And so they're at the center watching the interview on the other side of a mirror. The interviews are videotaped because, again, we want to reduce the times that kids are being um, talked to. And the interviewer sits in a room and is able to just have a conversation, but it's an intentionally um, thoughtful conversation in regards to what concerns might be that a child has been hurt. And so um, those questions are 
begin with some general, just tell me about yourself kinds of questions to pick up how kids are talking, what their language development is, and then going into more specific questions about any concerns of abuse. Okay. Now let's talk about core preparation. What does that involve and how are you guys involved in that at the center? So um, once a case has come through the center, if there are charges that have occurred, so a child has disclosed that someone has hurt them, there's been an investigation, that person has been investigated, arrested, and now we're in this place where we're going to, um, the, the case is going to trial. Our family advocates will work with the victim advocates in the prosecutor's offices to ensure that um, the kids are comfortable in court. A lot of times, make sure that the family um, understands the situation. When families first come to the Children's Advocacy Center, our family advocates, while the child's being interviewed by the forensic interviewer, we have family advocates that are meeting with the family, talking to them about crisis education and then explaining the court system, explaining kind of what those next steps are. And then at, towards the end, if the family um, is involved in a court case, then we have our family advocates that are um, working with them at that time as well. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. More information about our guests, more information about the show can always be found on our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Rodney Lear on air. Or you can listen to the show anytime you like. Just head to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. This morning, we're talking to Vicki Henderson. She is executive director of the Northern Kentucky Children's Advocacy Center. Now, let's talk about physical abuse. Now, how are most cases of physical child abuse, how are they reported? That's a great question. Um, You know, what we have seen is um, an increase in really the physical abuse. Since kind of post-pandemic, we're seeing more children coming to the center where there's a physical abuse allegation. Um, What we know is that when kids are at school, teachers um, are noticing and identifying um, possible bruising or marks on a child. They're seeing changes in a child's behavior. They're seeing withdrawal sometimes. And so they will report it. So teachers are definitely one of our primary sources of child abuse reporting. Um, and those reports go to the Cabinet for Health and Family Services as well as law enforcement. The other um, place that you'll see them is through doctors, through medical um, personnel will report them. We have families that will report as well. They, The kids have said something or they're concerned about um, how a child's doing, and so the family members will report it. But typically you get those reports through the teachers, which, of course, through the pandemic, we saw a decrease because we had kids at home and um, really somewhat isolated because they weren't able to be out and around. They weren't um, seen by in the school personnel. And so we had a significant concern that the um, there were children that were at high risk and not being in, and reported and kids that weren't safe. Okay, good. That's scary. Now, how often do you have the children themselves report the abuse, physical abuse. Um, is so that rare? It, it is less than, than we like. 
Um, because we would, you know, love for kids when they feel like they're being threatened to be able to report it. Um, but most kids are reluctant to report it because what we know is that, um, usually the person doing the abuse is someone that they know, someone close, someone related to them potentially. And so the threat of reporting and then coming back to the house where that person lives, um, or they've been told not to report. So we see it, um, less than we see individuals reporting because they have noticed something or becoming a concerned. Okay. So as you work with these young people, these children that have been physically abused, what is it that you want them to know and understand these young people? Well, we want them to be safe. And unfortunately for some children, the abuse happens so frequently in their home that they think it's normal. We want kids to know that it is not normal to be hurt, to be harmed, to be threatened. Um, And we want them to be able to find a safe person to tell, which is, again, you know, when you have teachers that they see every day, they develop relationships with them or the nurse or um, the principals. And we've had kids talk to the principal because the principal sees them in the hallway and says hi every morning. So we want them to be able to identify um, individuals that are safe. Sometimes we have kids that will tell um, a friend's parent. So they're at their friend's house a lot and they feel that they can trust the parent. Um, and so they'll tell another um, their, their friend's parent or another adult in their life. Um, but we want we really want kids to know that it isn't okay to be hurt. It isn't okay for someone to touch their bodies inappropriately um, and that there are people out there that care and that want to make sure they're safe. Okay. And again, in case you're just tuning in this morning, we're speaking to Vicki Henderson. She's executive director of the Northern Kentucky Children's Advocacy Center. She's here this morning to talk about child abuse and physical abuse. Now, how does physical abuse impact a child throughout their lifetime? Because it happens as a child, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. end there. Right. And so we, through research, through ACE studies, which is um, a long-term Um, health study that was done, we know that physical abuse, that sexual abuse um, that happens in childhood, you're absolutely right, has long-term effects. And they you can see that in um, in treatment facilities where you've got addiction issues. Um, there's reports, high level of reporting of abuse happening in their childhood. We also know that abuse not reported, not um, investigated, um, can definitely make situations worse. You have anxiety issues. You have depression issues. You have substance abuse issues that come up. It is a national health crisis um, for, for our country because of the long-term effect of it. And almost likewise, we're talking about physical abuse, but let's talk about domestic violence situations that involve children when children witness um, domestic violence. How does that impact children? What do you guys see and what do we know there? You know, I think that the one one thing that stands out when you're talking with kids in regards to witnessing domestic violence is there's two things that happen at the same time. There's the fear of what's going to happen to them. And then there is their anxiety of not being able to potentially protect an adult, right? So they witness their mom or their sibling being hurt or kicked or slapped or pushed down the steps or, um, you know, and domestic violence just isn't physical abuse. It's the verbal abuse and um, and hearing, you know, their parent being called names or, and so for those kids, it's that double whammy of, 
not only being able to protect themselves, but some kids feel the need, and, and we don't want them to, but they feel the need to protect other family members. It's not their responsibility, and yet they're not able to, and so they feel like they've done something wrong or let a family member down. Okay. Now, you talked about the double whammy, but I think the triple whammy doing this type of show over the years that a lot of times we find that the young people harbor resentment against the parent, especially the parent that they feel should have gotten the family out of the abusive situation. And I know that can be an impact on a child as well. And that's something that parents may not pick up on or know or children don't even talk about. And that's probably the anger is present. So they see kids acting out Um, and teachers talk about this at school. You know, they start to see kids getting very angry and frustrated for no reason. What's happening? Where is that coming from? Um, We talk to parents a lot when children are exposed to domestic violence. Those are behaviors they learn. And so when something happens that makes them mad, they strike, they yell, they scream. Um, And then you have those kids that are harboring exactly what you said, that anger and frustration, and then turn into adults that continue to do that. And they continue to resort to those behaviors, which is why it's so important um, for families to get help, to get some type of intervention, to be able to address those emotions and feelings. That's part of for at the Children's Advocacy Center. I mentioned, so we do the forensic interviewing, but we also have the family advocates. And part of their job is family engagement and making sure that if there's a referral for counseling, that those families get the support they need to get access to mental health services. Mental health um, is a crisis in our country. We're especially seeing an increased Um, through the pandemic, and we're seeing an increase in anxiety and depression and suicide. And so we want to make sure that families have the resources to get their kids treatment, Um, and our family advocates do that. And the center also has a therapist on site, so we're able to provide some mental health services, but we see over 800 kids a year. We are not able to see all of those children for counseling, so we want to partner with other organizations that provide evidence-based treatment for children. All right. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, we're talking about physical abuse and sexual abuse, child abuse here this morning. For more information, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear, Instagram and Twitter at Rodney Lear on air. This morning, we're speaking to Vicki Henderson. She's with the Northern Kentucky Children's Advocacy Center. Now, let's talk about sexual abuse. Um, what are some of the warning signs for parents that may suspect or may think that their child is being sexually abused. What are some of the warning signs that they can look for? We have parents call us um, and they will. They're concerned. They see some type of changes in behavior. That's typically one of the first things that we, we talk to them about. What is it that's happening that you're concerned about? You might have a child who is really outgoing, loves to go out and play, is with their friends all the time, and all of a sudden that's changed. They don't want to go out. You may have a child that doesn't want to um, be left alone with another family member and they constantly want to be with the other parent. That's something to investigate. You want to make sure that, you know, the child is safe. And so having just a conversation about, you always want to go with me when I leave. Tell me about that. What's going on? That that can start a conversation about, is there an anxiety or a fear or something happening when mom or dad are out of the house? You can also um, see kids that are having changes in sleeping patterns. 
Maybe they used to sleep really well and they're not sleeping at all. Um, changes in the way they're eating, changes in um, the way they're feeling, tummy aches, headaches. Those are all signs that something's going on. Now, none of that directly points to child sexual abuse or child physical abuse, but something is happening with your child at that point, and you want to start to investigate, see who they're spending time with, see who they're avoiding, you know, have conversations about you know, is there anything going on that, that worries you? What are you afraid of? What scares you? And, and having that open-ended dialogue with kids is really important to be able to figure out what's happening in kids' lives. And I know that research probably shows that. And I think that far less men or males report abuse, especially sexual abuse. Is that true? Yeah, we definitely see less reports of men or of boys reporting abuse, um, but that absolutely does not mean it doesn't occur. And so we see that at our center. I mentioned before of the number of kids we see, we definitely see boys as well as girls. So, And let's talk about the stigma, and that's probably one of the reasons that you don't see a lot of boys speak up or in general the stigma behind abuse uh, for those children that have been abused. Right. I think when you um, talk about stigma, sometimes that's really attached to sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and um, with boys feeling much more reluctant to be able to disclose it. They feel like um, people are going to look negatively at them. What does that mean about who they are as a person? What does that mean about who they are sexually? And one has nothing to do with the other. You know, when a child's being sexually abused, it is about power and control, and it is about um, being being in control of that other person. And so um, you really want those um, children to feel that talking about it isn't putting a stigma on them. In fact, it is the other person who is being needs to be held responsible. Okay, and almost along the same lines, um, we talk about guilt and shame for the victims mm-hmm. as well. Let's talk about that. And what do you guys see there? You know, um, so initially, a lot of times I think that kids worry that they've done something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that when our when we have little little ones, um, I don't know if you have children, but when you I do. you do I have so, teenagers. OK, well, even teenagers, they think the world's right is revolves around them. Oh, yeah. And so it, it happens at two and it happens in the teen years. And what typically you see, though, is when kids have that frame of reference that the world is about them, then if something bad happens to them, then it must have been because of them. And so that shame of what did I do um, is is prevalent not just in rape, not just in, you know, um, should I have gone there or whatever. It's also with kids. Also, you have abusers saying to children, um, it's your fault, right? This is something that we hear this. This is something that they did. This is something that they wanted. And so that can really be very confusing for children. And then also you have it if it's someone that a child has a relationship with, like a father or a mother or a grandparent, that um, this, if they love me, well, they wouldn't do this, right? So it must be something I've done or it happens in my family, and sometimes these kids are so isolated they don't realize that this isn't normal, that other kids don't have this type of relationship, and so they carry that with them. I think that for us, one of the saddest things is that they want the abuse to stop, but there are some kids who 
they love the parent. They don't want them to hurt them anymore, and they don't want them to get in trouble. And so if they tell, many times they're being told, if you if you say this, they're going to take me from the house. You know, they're going to take your brothers and sisters away from the family. It's all going to be your fault. And so they feel guilty. They don't necessarily want this person to go to jail. They just want the abuse to stop. What type of misinformation do you believe is out circulating in the world Um, You do this enough in terms of physical sexual abuse or the abuse of children. What kind of misinformation is out there? That's a great question. I think that not understanding um, the importance of paying attention to the small changes in your kid's behavior. Um, Sometimes as parents, we're busy, we see something and then we just think, okay, well, it's because they're nine or because they're 10 or this is just a developmental piece. And then um, recognizing later, wow, you know, I started to see those changes when she was nine and, and that is when he started coming around. And so it's now two years later and now they're starting to have significant behavior changes. So I think the really the misinformation of, you know, trying to figure out when it's important and, and when it's important to, to have conversations. We have a family advocate that does a training. We offer a prevention program called Darkness to Light. And um, part of that training is she'll say in the class, you need to begin these conversations very early about safety and body safety and um, making sure that kids know that no one has the right to touch them anywhere on their body. And, um, you know, when is it okay that a doctor touches your, and then ha- and have that conversation in front of the doctor. And then you continue to have those conversations with kids as they, you know, going to school about bullying and as they start dating. And, and that's an ongoing conversation. It doesn't just happen once and then we don't have it again. And I think that's a misinformation. Well, we have this good touch, bad touch conversation and never talk about it again. Um, and that isn't the way it should be. I think that when you talk about, I don't know if it's misinformation, um, but social media and the internet is really not a child's best friend. There are so many things that kids can click onto, chat rooms they can go into. There are predators that are constantly looking for kids to engage and and have conversations. It's not just about Um, I don't want my child to go on because they're going to meet somebody in a dark alley somewhere. It's about, you know, engaging in conversations. Our young kids do not have the capacity to understand that these there are adults that are looking for them. They feel like, oh, this is another eight year old and nine year old. And all of a sudden, now we're talking about, well, tell me what you look like. Tell me where you live. Send me some pictures. And they begin to break down barriers. And you have kids that are 9 and 10 sending pictures online. Um, it is so important, so important to be able to monitor the the Internet and social media. It has some great things for us. We've learned a lot. But it is not a friend for our children without being monitored. All right. Um, finally, this morning, what does it take for families, for these young people to, in essence, recover from the abuse that you, you guys see? Um, what does it take? It takes a village. It takes a family <laughs> for sure. But what does it take for yeah. these young people yeah. to have a chance in life after experiencing something like child abuse or sexual abuse? So I think the first thing that um, for me, that comes to mind is it takes being believed. 
Um, it is hard to put your mind around when your child comes to you and says someone has hurt you. And, and it is okay to question it, but it becomes a huge issue when you don't believe them. And they don't think that the people in their lives are going to protect them. So that that definitely is the first step. And then having a family that continues to support them, having the Children's Advocacy Center that is able to do forensic interviewing, to partner with the family and do family engagement, to have the medical exam done there so kids aren't being taken to the hospital, to have therapists that are trained in evidence-based treatment, and that continue to support not just the child but the parents or the grandparents, whoever the guardian is of those kids, as they go down this journey to heal, um, we see um, and we are we have been involved in some research where there we have families that come in initially for the interview, for the medical, and then there is um, life happens and they don't have necessarily the time to bring it back for therapy and having that support piece. But if your kids do not get therapy at the time they need it, some point in their life, they're going to get some type of therapy because they're going to either as an adult need it or they're going to turn to substance abuse. They're going to turn to anxiety and depression. And so just being able to continue to have support for them to continue that treatment. Okay. And what should our listeners do if they suspect that a young person, a child is being abused? What can they do? So um, in Kentucky and Cincinnati, you can report it to the police. If you don't know what else to do, call 911 and the police will help you get the next, um, take the next step or report it to social services. And so you can go online and find the Cabinet for Health and Family Services that's in Northern Kentucky and um, Child Protection that's in Cincinnati. And so you report it. I think there is a reluctance sometimes because they don't want to get involved. Sometimes we have neighbors that see things but um, aren't sure. They don't want to be the ones. What we say is just report it. Just report it. And you'll and then you send it to the people who have the ability and the tools to investigate to ensure that kids are safe. Um, the worst thing to happen is to see something, know for six months to a year something bad was going on, and then realize that whole time that child was being beaten or starved or um, you know, sexually abused, you, it looked bad to you, but you weren't sure. So we just say report it. All right. And if our listeners would like more information on the Northern Kentucky Children's Advocacy Center, how can they find out more? Yeah, so we um, there's a couple of ways. We want you to go to the website, which is www.nkycac.org. You can always call us at 859-442-3200. We're available, um, and we are definitely want to answer those. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, so we're going to be kicking off April across northern Kentucky. Um, we have signs. We have banners that are educating. If you see pinwheels, understand that the pinwheels represent April. Um, um, and child abuse prevention. And Pinwheels is really a national movement, and it really is a reminder of what kids should be doing. They should be outside playing. You know, we love seeing kids blow into pinwheels and making them spin. That's what we want all our kids to have the experience of. Um, and so for April, you're going to see some other media on our website and educational tools and things. All right. Well, we're out of time. We've been speaking to Vicki Henderson, Executive Director of the Northern Kentucky Children's Advocacy Center. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rodney. We'll be back with more Sunday Morning Magazine right after this. More to come. Stay with us. Listen to Sunday Morning Magazine no matter what day it is. Use your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear today.